We're in a sermon series based on a prayer that Jesus gave us to pray, sort of an outline or a, or a basic pattern, uh, a model for prayer called commonly the Lord's Prayer. And today we come to the final request. One more time in this series, let me show you this uh, chart to review where we've been. Uh, you notice on the left, the first three of these requests deal with God and his glory. And the second three on the right deal with us and our good. Some of you may be familiar with the fact that there's an old Bible translation called the King James Version that actually includes an additional verse uh, by way of conclusion to the prayer. Uh, For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So why is that not in our Bibles? are more modern translations? Well, because it doesn't appear in the strongest, most reliable Bible manuscripts. So we're not wrong if we pray those words. It's not as though we've fallen into theological error, but we do need to know it's not included in the series because it's not found in the most reliable manuscripts of scripture. Now, to go back to this chart, How does what is on the left impact how we pray for the matters that are on the right? Well, just to give you one idea, certainly God welcomes us to share the concerns, the hurts, the fears, the struggles that we're experiencing in everyday life. In fact, elsewhere, the Bible encourages us to come before God with confidence and even boldness. But still, Jesus has given us these first three concerns to pray for God's glory, the honoring of his name, the extent of his kingdom, and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how does that side impact the other side? Well, we can do it something like this. We can pray, Lord, here is my concern right now, and we state what it is. But we go on to say, really, Lord, what I'm ultimately concerned about is the honoring of your name, the extension of your kingdom, and the fulfillment of your will. So I'm hoping, as a result of this sermon series, that that is how you are praying, that you are coming to prayer with a submissive heart, where your desires are always subservient to the greater concerns for God and his glory. All right, the fifth of these requests, which we looked at last week, finds us praying for the forgiveness of our debts, our moral debts, or our sins. So now, having taught us to deal with past sins, Jesus moves on in this last request from the past to the future to address our vulnerability to sins uh, today and on into tomorrow. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So our topic this morning is temptation and the desire whenever it occurs in our lives to be delivered from it as well as the purposes of the evil one Satan himself. You know when people go to a medical doctor and they discover as a result of some tests no doubt that they have a very significant ailment more than likely they will acquire as much information about their disease as they can possibly gain. So they'll receive information perhaps from the clinic, the hospital, the doctor. They'll go home, go online, search out other information. And the question is, does all of this learning cure the patient? Well, of course not. 
But if they understand the disease, they're certainly in a better position to fight against it. And what is true with regard to diseases is also true when we're talking about something like temptation. Gaining more information about what temptation is, how it functions in your personal case, is not going to cure you, but it will certainly enable you uh, to manage it and to fight against it. So I want to begin today, if you have your sermon outline, sharing with you four basic facts that describe the nature of temptation. Here's the first. Temptation affects everybody. The fact that we're all instructed to pray the Lord's Prayer, this request suggests temptation plays no favorites. It can be an area of battleground for the stay-at-home mom who's dealing with little kids all day, has absolutely no adult conversation, and um, you know is dealing with all of those difficulties, as well as the, uh, the um, career-minded businesswoman. It can impact, at the same time, not only a pastor of a church, but a congregation. It can you know, invade the heart and life of a child on the way to school, as it certainly can the heart of a commuter on the way to work. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that even Jesus Christ was subjected to temptation. Did you know that? Yeah, look at this verse in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So if you're ever tempted to lose your temper, to... Uh, be judgmental or critical, to be lustful, to be proud and self-absorbed, you're not alone because this verse is saying Jesus was tempted in those ways as well. So that's the first fact, temptation affects everybody. Number two, building on that, temptation will always be with us. So the fact that we're all encouraged to pray this statement in the Lord's Prayer often certainly indicates that we will never live to see the day on planet Earth where we will be free, so spiritually mature that we're free from temptation. That's not going to happen. Now, let's understand what temptation is. What is it? Well, one source defines it like this. I like this uh, definition. It means to be seduced or enticed to do wrong by the promise of pleasure or gain. Okay, seduced or enticed to do wrong by the promise of pleasure or gain. Now that indicates to us that sin is pleasurable. If anybody tries to sell you on the idea that sin isn't pleasurable, they're simply wrong. If it wasn't pleasurable, we wouldn't do it. So it is pleasurable, but as the author of Hebrews 11.25 reminds us, he speaks there of the fleeting pleasures of sin. So yeah, it's pleasurable, but its pleasure is fleeting. So some temptation motivates us to do wrong by promising something attractive and good. Isn't that just like the evil one? Now, it certainly is not a sin to be tempted. Remember, Jesus was tempted in all ways and yet was without sin. The sin, of course, occurs in yielding to the temptation doing the wrong to which we are enticed. I like the way Martin Luther used to put it in his characteristic way. 
uh, trying to come up with an analogy to illustrate how this works, he would say, you know, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but they don't have to build a nest in your hair. And so that was his way of saying, you can't help being tempted, but you certainly don't have to yield. So temptation will always be with us. Now that means we're not dealing today with a theoretical concept. We're dealing with reality. We're dealing with dreams and desires and interests, all kinds of concerns attractive to us, thoughts, desires, all sorts of things that hold out the promise of pleasure or pain or gain, but which lead to a lot of pain, lead to a lot of destruction potentially in our lives as well as the lives of other people. So that's the second fact, temptation will always be with us. Number three, temptation seems to follow a consistent pattern. There are many stories in the Bible of individuals who succumb to temptation, and we're familiar perhaps with some of them. I think of the story of Abraham who lied about the identity of his wife, trying to pass her off, as his sister to save his own skin. We think of David and his affair with Bathsheba. We think of the Apostle Peter and how on three occasions he denied even knowing Jesus Christ. So we have lots of stories, but I only know of one passage in the entire Bible that gives us some insight into how temptation actually takes place. James puts it like this in James chapter one. But each of you, we're going to come back to those words in a moment or two here, each of you is tempted when, by your own evil desires, you're dragged away, and here's our word again, enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. If I could put all of this that James is saying in fishing terms, I think I would come up with the following. First of all, there needs to be bait. Okay, an object of interest, could be a person, could be a title, could be a thing, could be a feeling, could be a belief, but there's some sort of promise of pleasure or gain. So there's the bait. Secondly, there needs to be some kind of inner desire that attracts us to the bait. The only way there's going to be failure, moral failure, is if there's some sort of attraction. That can lead to, to the temptation. Whatever it is, it has the potential to become an object of interest and attraction for us. So there's the bait, there's the inner desire. Thirdly, sin occurs when we yield, that is when we bite the bait. Now James, to put it in his language, speaks of our being dragged away and enticed. This word enticed is actually a fishing word and literally it means to lure by bait. And so the fishermen for our hearts Satan himself knows exactly what bait to use on me and what bait to use on you. He has a very large tackle box filled with a variety of lures and he's always trying to entice each one of us to bite. When we do, we sin. And that leads to the fourth thing that James talks about. Sin results in tragic consequences. In this case, we get hooked and fried. Or to use his language, sin gives birth to death. Now that's true even in a Christian. If we follow this process, sin leads to a kind of a death-like existence. There's guilt, and there's a sense of shame and frustration. There's a lack of peace, 
dissatisfaction. Oftentimes this feeling as well of being at a distance from God himself. So it doesn't matter, you know, what the enticement is. Temptation always seems to follow this kind of a pattern. All right, that leads to a fourth observation I want to make. Temptation is an individual matter. It's an individual matter. Coming back to the language of James, he talks about each of you being tempted, your own inner desire, so that's very individualistic language. So in other words, open doors to sin face all of us each day, but not necessarily in the same way. Sometimes I'm asked the question, uh, Rich, why is it that I always seem to struggle in the exact same areas? Well, in part, it's because our personalities and our life experiences make us vulnerable to particular kinds of temptation. Some of us, I don't know, maybe even all of us, will struggle with certain types of temptations, maybe for the rest of our lives because the temptations are related to who we are. Now let me give you some examples. Certain people, by virtue of their temperament, may continue to battle the temptation of low self-esteem. They just feel like they're total losers, and it leads oftentimes to discouragement, even depression. They tend to be introverted, they tend to be melancholy. By the way, this is my personality that I'm now describing very easy to become discouraged, that might be a constant source of temptation. Others of us may have a kind of a, an addictive personality. I've shared with you on other occasions that my dad was an alcoholic. I think I have inherited certain addictive tendencies. I've never been drunk, but I do have certain tendencies. I can recall times that Valerie could echo here uh, times where I was just given over to work, almost like an addictive tendency, or even to exercise. So there are people, for example, that may not be addicted to a certain kind of drug, although in a certain sense, you know, being in top physical shape, having the perfect body can be like a drug, or maybe it's work, or it could be something else. Now, none of this means that we have to yield doesn't mean that we'll never know relief. Jesus Christ can bring, and I love this phrase from Francis Schaeffer, the theologian, he can bring substantial healing into your life, into your mind, and even into your emotions. And yet people who love Jesus may nevertheless struggle with issues of depression, overeating, lying, sexual issues, because of their personalities and life experiences. I want to go further, however, with this. It seems to me that many of our temptations are born out of legitimate needs that are created by God himself. Of course, the problem is we go about seeking to meet those legitimate needs in very illegitimate ways. Let me give you a couple of examples. Take a woman who's home all day with uh, the little kids, no adult conversation taking place. Her husband comes home and uh, he's demanding, unappreciative, bossy, very self-absorbed, no real emotional connection whatsoever. And this goes on maybe not only for months but for years in the relationship. 
Finally, she gets to know the next door neighbor, who's very caring and supportive, appreciates her, encourages her, and you can begin to see where this could go, right? Or maybe it's the, the husband who's married to a very cold, emotionally distant woman. And uh, he meets this woman in the cubicle next to his own, and they hit it off, and she's laughing at his goofy jokes, you know, and, and they're just having a, a neat connection back and forth, and you can see where that can go. That doesn't justify being unfaithful. Certainly it doesn't. But it's certainly critical that we understand ourselves and our wirings. So it's good that we pause at different times and ask ourselves some important questions. Questions like these. Do I really know myself? Do I know myself well enough to realize where Satan right now is likely to attack me? Do I understand where I am most vulnerable in my life? So we need to be asking ourselves those kinds of questions. Why? Because temptation is an individual matter. So those are the four facts. Temptation affects everybody, will always be with us, follows a consistent pattern. It's an individual matter. Okay, so what do we do about it? I mean, are we doomed to defeat? No, we're not. So long as we live on planet Earth, we will never be sinless, but we can sin less. So hopefully now we're in a position to better understand and appreciate the help being offered by Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, this particular request, the sixth and final one. So secondly, let's look at four practical helps for overcoming a temptation. Help uh, number one, to seek God's assistance. Now friends, we're not talking about PhD level graduate school theology here, okay? I mean, this is getting back to the basics, but it's oftentimes the basics that we tend to forget. So this is emphasizing seeking God's assistance. Why? Because we can't battle temptation. Certain temptations are so strong, again, so much a part of who we are, that we need help. So how do we get it? We ask. What do we say? Father in heaven, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. That would be a good place to start. Now what does that mean? When we pray those words, lead me not into temptation, what exactly do we even have in mind? Well, it can't be, never let me be tempted, because as we've seen, that's inevitable. So, does God lead us into temptation? I mean, this is saying, lead us not into temptation. Does God lead us into temptation? Well, some of you who have been around your Bibles for a while know that there's probably a verse or two somewhere, isn't it in maybe James? Well, you'd be right if you thought James, that addresses this particular issue. Look at James 1.13 with me on the screen. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. So that's my out, you know. God led me into this. I didn't have any choice. I just had to give in. No. Nobody can say or should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Notice, nor does he tempt anyone. Well, that would seem to answer the question, right? God doesn't lead us into temptation. 
All right, then what do you do with these two other Bible verses that I want to show you? How do you handle Genesis 22, verse 1, which in the old King James Version reads, and it came to pass that God did tempt Abraham. Uh, Oops, ooh, that would seem to be an issue. Seems to say that God does tempt us, wow. So that seems to be a contradiction to what James just said, right? And while you're trying to think of what the answer would be to that verse, let me give you another one. How about Matthew chapter four and verse one? Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now it does say that the devil tempted Jesus, but it does also say that he was led by the spirit in the desert to be tempted. So how do we deal with this? Well, the explanation isn't as difficult as I'm probably making it out to be. Um, And that is to say this, that the same original words, word for tempt or temptation, can be translated trial or even test. And really, it's the context that determines how the, the word should be translated. So the exact same event the exact same area of temptation can be actually a trial sent by God to strengthen our faith as well as a temptation by the devil to destroy our faith. Exact same event. So in Genesis 22, while King James Version says it came to pass that God did tempt Abraham, another translation has, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And that would certainly in this context be the better translation. Some have lead us not into temptation, but another has, don't bring us to hard testing. So God was never going to tempt you to sin, but he will bring people, circumstances into your life that can become tests for us, which Satan then would love to use against you. So God tells Abraham to sacrifice his only son to test him. Satan would love it if he just killed this boy because if he kills his only son, there's no Jewish race. No Jewish race, there's no savior. So that would certainly make sense from Satan's point of view. The spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to prove the virtue of Christ. Satan, of course, once attempted tempt him to destroy his virtue. Same act, and the same kind of thing can happen in us. So let's say you lose your job, or uh, you're a student and you're on a, a team, some sport, and the coach doesn't play you even though you're one of the better players on the team. How do you handle that kind of a situation? Well, you can respond by recognizing, Lord, um, all things come from you, and Lord, I'm anxious about this, or I don't know what to do in this team situation, and I'm asking you, Lord, to direct my steps. We can respond that way. I'm going to trust you to lead me into a new job or give me wisdom as to what to do in this sports situation, or we can badmouth the boss for firing you or the coach for not playing you and complain to God for making things very difficult for you. So while God desires growth, Satan desires kind of a death-like existence. I've known people who have contracted life-threatening disease, disability, lost a spouse, 
and they end up growing in their faith. I've known others in very similar situations who become very bitter and angry at God. What could they have done? Well, certainly one response is to seek God's assistance. Maybe you're in a trial right now, and maybe it's passing into this matter of some type of temptation. Maybe it's a situation of loneliness, the desire for marriage. Maybe you're married, but you're struggling with the pain of infertility. Don't under, doesn't God understand what this means to me? I mean, doesn't God realize the significance of this? Why does he withhold this from me? And you're just struggling with this. Jesus is inviting you to pray, whatever the struggle may be. Father, do not lead me into a testing of my faith that's beyond my endurance, but when the test comes, deliver me from the evil one and his purposes. Martin Luther would say this, we can't help being exposed to assaults. They're gonna come, but we pray that we may not fall and perish under them. So there's this translation of our verse. Do not bring us to hard testing, but keep us safe from the evil one. So seek God's assistance and he will never let you get into a situation that's beyond your ability to deal with it. Look at this promise, 1 Corinthians 10. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. Seek God's assistance. Number two, share your struggle with a friend. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, this verse is not saying on a Sunday morning at City Church, we ought to take turns and everybody kind of stands up at different times and we spend time in a service confessing the deepest, darkest secrets of our lives, our sins. No, no. But it is certainly emphasizing the fact that we need, each of us needs at least one individual, ideally a Christ follower, with whom you can be God level honest, dealing with the issues that are on your mind, in your heart that you're struggling with, for purposes of prayer support and accountability. You need another Christian in your life, and other Christians need you. So sometimes, you know, someone will come to me and say, Rich, I've struggled with this issue for years. I've never told anybody else about it, but I'm now going to tell you. I had an, actually an individual come, came to me not that uh, long ago, say, Rich, never share this with anybody else. I'm dealing with same-sex attraction issues. My dad is a Baptist pastor in Ohio. If he were to find out about my struggle, I couldn't come home. He'd kick me out the house. And so he shared that with me, and I go, wow, uh, Paul, I just want you to know um, that's my, my struggle. I mean, I've got a lot of issues that I'm dealing with, Paul. That's not one of them, but I certainly would like to understand what your struggle is like. Would you be willing to meet with me on a regular basis just to share with me what is it like 
to deal with those kinds of temptations and struggles while you were part of an evangelical community. What's that even like? He said, I'd love it. And so we got together on multiple opportunities in which he shared with me his struggle in life. You know, I began to think, wouldn't it be something if City Church were like that, where we were a place we could all feel that it was safe to reveal with somebody our area of struggle? Maybe it's in a context of a small group. Maybe for you it's, you know, a ministry team or it's a one-on-one situation. We would be honoring and modeling what James 5 verse 16 is actually talking about. Confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. If there's an area of struggle that's going on in your life right now, whatever it is, and you've never shared it with somebody else, it's probably out of control. And the only way you're going to get relief is if you're willing to share your struggle with a friend. So temptation, friends, can be very powerful, destructive. We need all the help we can get. So if you don't have a close Christian friend with whom you can share stuff, ask God to give you somebody. Ask him to bring someone into your life who will accept you and support you and love you and pray for you no matter what. Again, wouldn't it be great if City Church were that kind of a church for all of us? So I hope you're finding that to be the case. All right. Thirdly, stand up to the evil one. Coming back to the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says to pray, deliver us from the evil one. Now, it can be translated as some other versions have it, deliver us from evil. But because this little preposition from here, this particular Uh, word translated from is almost always used with respect to persons more than likely Jesus has in mind here the evil one himself Satan so how does the Lord deliver us from the evil one well one way he does it is by urging us to get dressed for spiritual battle every single day look at this verse in Ephesians 6 war terminology here Be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The problem is, oftentimes, we head out for work or school, you know, whatever the day calls for, and we're like spiritual streakers. Yeah, we're going out and we're not properly dressed. It's as if we're naked facing the day. And uh, we have nothing on then to do battle against the schemes of the evil one. So Paul goes on to demonstrate, perhaps chained to a Roman soldier, looking at the different pieces of equipment that the soldier is wearing, he applies it spiritually. Now, these next verses, I just want to draw your attention to the terms. So look at some of these uh, pieces of armor that the Apostle Paul brings to our, our attention talks about the belt of truth. Can we look at the next slide? Yeah, here we go. The belt of truth, which is what? Well, it protects you against Satan's lies. Talks about the breastplate of righteousness. What's that? Well, it's covering you with the assurance that you have right standing with God, okay? His righteousness is now yours. You need to be properly motivated to withstand temptation, and that's where that comes from. You have shoes on your feet, the gospel of peace, which gives you a solid foundation. You're taking up the shield of faith, 
to address the arrows of the evil one, you know, his arrows of doubt and discouragement and fear or worry or lust, whatever it may be. You put on your head the helmet of salvation to protect your, your mind from his suggestions. And um, it's the helmet of salvation giving you assurance of future final salvation, your hope in Christ. And then you have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So one antidote to temptation is the truth of God's word. You have to get it into your life. When Jesus was tempted, all three times, we read in Matthew chapter 4, he responded by quoting scripture saying, it is written. So if Jesus could do that to stand up to the devil, so can you. So you have to get the Bible into your life. How do you do that? One key way is memorization. You say, oh, forget that. I, uh, I can't memorize the Bible. Wait a minute. What is your address? Well, you could probably tell me what your address is, which means what? You memorize things that are important to you. We can all do that. So I have a friend who memorized hundreds of Bible verses. How did he do it? Well, he has a Bible reading plan. And if he's struggling with worry, he reads, you know, his Bible verse for the day. Wow, that's a great verse on worry. I should commit that to memory. So he writes it out on a card, puts it up in the visor of his car, and every time he stops at a red light, pulls down the visor, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. He does that a few times and he has it memorized. And he goes on to other verses. You can do this. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 119. How can a young person stay pure? Yeah, that's the question, isn't it? How does a young person today stay pure? By obeying your word, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So you stand up to the devil by getting dressed each day for battle and make at least part of your dress, you know, have that include God, getting God's word into your life. All right, finally, stay sensitive to your particular area of struggle or vulnerability. Jesus in Matthew 26, 42 says this, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So what do we do if the body is, Spirit willing, body is weak. Well, he says to watch and pray. We know what pray means, but what is watch? Well, it's staying, among other things, sensitive to your particular area of struggle. To illustrate, I happen to have two very weird allergies. I'm not making this up, this is true. First of all, I have an allergy to all fish food. Doesn't matter, fresh water, salt water, lobster, walleye, I can't eat any fish of any kind, any fish food, without the potential of my breaking out in hives to the point where it affects my breathing. So that's one weird allergy I have. The other is, this is true, I'm not making this up, I actually have an allergy to the cold. What? Yeah, I know, God has a sense of humor in calling me to Minnesota, right? Yeah, so I do. If I step outside in a kind of a raw, cold January day and I'm not properly covered up, I can break out in hives. It's the temperature change going from warmth into a cold situation. I can break out in hives. 
So if I want to avoid hives, what do I have to do? Don't ingest fish, be properly covered up when I'm outside. Well, if you have a temper problem and you discover, you know what, if I cheat on my regular hours of sleep and I'm up watching games or late night TV or whatever it is that's going on, talking to friends, I get up in the morning and I'm just a bear to live with, I'm an old grouch, then what do you need to do? Well, it doesn't sound very spiritual, but you have to discipline yourself to get to bed on time. Yeah. If in dating you're struggling with keeping your hands to yourself, and you struggle, you realize that uh, you tend to be vulnerable when you're in a situation where you're alone for an inappropriate length of time, his apartment, her apartment, the car, whatever it might be, then you're going to have to discipline yourself to deal with those kinds of situations where you're not alone. You see, you have to get tough with yourself. This is so important that Jesus likened it to doing spiritual amputation, plucking out eyes, cutting off limbs that are such a part of you. This is how we have to deal with this issue of temptation. Watch and pray. Well, there's no easy solution to temptation. Wish there were, but there, there really isn't. It's always going to be with us, but you know what? So is Jesus Christ by his spirit, who works through his people. In community, we can begin to know some kind of healing and some help. But he's with you as well by the person of the Holy Spirit, and he cares so much for you and for me that he invites us to pray as needed. Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray together. Father, you know all the areas where maybe even over the years we have struggled. The habits, the temptations that are often so much a part of our lives that have led to significant defeat. You know the tempting situations we're dealing with right now. Those that we'll face in this new week. So we're asking for help. We're asking you to help us to see the patterns in our lives that lead us down inappropriate paths, that you'll give us the strength to avoid them, that you'll encourage us to apply the steps to freedom that we've talked about today. Father, may we know your protection, your power to fight, to resist, to turn away, that we might find you to be the greatest source of our joy now and forever, through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.